everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan Pearson, riding solo this week. Hope everyone's enjoyed the playoffs so far. Got some good action going on as the division series start wrapping up. Uh, now that we're a little more than a week removed from the Marlins season coming to an end, uh, wanted to spend the early portion of this week's episode taking a quick look back at some stats that define the season and some numbers, insights, some statistics, data, analytical points that are going to be a focal point for the club moving forward, especially as they go into year five of the rebuild. Uh, the first one, got to be the obvious one, 95. Number of losses this year, seventh worst in franchise history. Obviously, after making the playoffs in the uh, shortened 2020 season, the team went took a step backwards this year, not what the club wanted, and it brings a reminder of just how fleeting and maybe how much of a flash in the pan that season may have been. Again, 60 games versus 162, the sprint versus the marathon, and the Marlins are going to have to figure out ways to quickly reverse course and get back to at least attempting to contend for the playoffs in 2022. We've established that multiple times already, so not going to badger too much on the final number, but want to look more at the rest of this numbers that led up to and created that 95 loss mark. Uh, the first one to dive into 21 and 29, the Marlins record in one loss in one run games. Uh, 50, again, 51 run games out of 162, only six other teams in baseball played that many games that were decided by one run. Uh, the Marlins had 17 games. 17 of those one-run games were walk-offs, six wins, 11 losses. Uh, 30 of their games came when the Marlins scored three runs or fewer. They went 0-10 when they scored zero runs or one run, and basically the final score with that being 1-0 losses and 2-1 losses. Uh, they went 3-4 and four in one-run games when they scored only two runs, so that's two or three, two and three records in losses and two and one final scores in wins, and eight and five when they scored three runs, and the game ended in one in the one-run margin, so three-four loss or three-two win. Uh, one thing that is interesting to point out, again, it was 21 and 29 overall. They went 10 and 24 in one-run games prior to the July 30th trade deadline when they still had the likes of Corey Dickerson, Starling Marte, Adam Duvall, those big guys who were the big part of their offense. They went 11-5 and in one-run games over the final two months of the season. Again, all one-run games are not created equal. Some are the Marlins were had an early lead and then lost to the bullpen. Others were... Great pitching performance, and they finally find some life late. But again, to see them win more than two-thirds of them down the stretch with that young group that, that they had to close out the season, that's worth noting. It definitely is. Uh, number three, I'm sort of just lumping a lot of numbers together, and it's just showing the state of the offense or the lack thereof for the bulk of the season. Uh, the Marlins finished the regular season in the bottom five in the league in run score. They were 29th with 623 runs. They were second to last in o- with a 671 OPS, and they were third from third from the bottom in with a 233 batting average and with 158 home runs. Uh, and again, a lot of numbers. Again, you they traded a, a lot of their big offensive numbers in Dickerson, 
Marte, Duvall before the deadline, and then Jesus Aguilar missed a good chunk at the end of the year with his knee injury. In August, at the first month right after the trade deadline, the Marlins' numbers were actually above their average. They had a 241 batting average, eight points above what they were for the full season, uh, 681 OPS, 10 points higher. It's a small margin, but that was actually 22nd out of 30 in the month of August. Again, nothing to be ecstatic about, but it was a step above where the Marlins stood throughout the season. In September, everything just completely fell apart. 213 batting average, uh, 628 OPS. Uh, It was a sign of, again, the Marlins at that point started playing a lot of their young guys. Uh, They had a lot of prospects getting steady reps that final month. Uh, 22 of their final 24 games, they had at least four position players in the starting lineup out of eight. So that's something that you have to look at. There was some good. Brian De La Cruz, obviously, was a surprise for over the final two months. Jesus Sanchez showed power. Lewin Diaz, his defense and his power definitely stand out. And if he can start hitting for a little bit more more for average, it'll definitely help his case to try to lock down that starting job, which is anything but secure with the Marlins still having Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper decisions to make with them when it comes to arbitration, whether they're going to be tender contracts later this offseason. Jazz Chisholm Jr., of course, his all-around game. He showed some flash. He showed some pop. He showed some excitement, but needs to get more productive just on a consistent basis. Obviously, defense needs to be shored up. He had the most errors among anyone in baseball, but he showed potential that he has a high ceiling, but the floor needs to improve a little bit. But with all that young that youth out there, it also showed some questions. The primary primary one being who the heck is going to be the Marlins catcher in 2022 and beyond. They transitioned Jorge Alfaro into a utility guy. He was catcher, left field, first base. Uh, they used uh, three different rookies that they rotated around the final year, final month and a half between Alex Jackson, Nick Fortes, Peyton Henry. No one really separated themselves. So that's going to be something that, again, it's one of the emphases for the offseason once that gets here in the next month or so. How are the Marlins going to find ways to improve their offense? They're going to have more money to spend, comparatively speaking, considering they have the new TV deal and they have the uh, stadium naming rights. That should give them about 35 to $40 million more million to spend it's just a matter of seeing how they're going to spend it and how much of it they're going to spend. But they need to find a way to get at least an impact batter too. Obviously figuring out how they're going to address the catcher situation and at least one or two outfielders are going to have to be obtained in some way, shape, or form more than likely to supplement the Jesus Sanchez's, the Brian De La Cruz's, and the guys waiting in the wings to come up in the next year or two. Uh... Stat number four kind of flows into and connects with all the offense numbers. Uh, 26, total number of rookies who appear for the Marlins at some point this season. Now, again, there's the caveat. Not all of them are going to be long-term pieces. There were a lot of bullpen guys who came up for brief stints. There were guys who had to come in just as depth for a day or two because of injuries. But there were some guys there who started to establish themselves. Obviously, we talked about all the position players already. Uh, on the On the pitching side... Trevor Rogers, what more can we say about him? He was their all-star. He's likely going to finish this runner-up in Rookie of the Year to 
Cincinnati Reds Jonathan India and probably would have had a chance to cement himself as Rookie of the Year if he didn't miss that month. Again, dealt with some personal issues, had missed the start with a back injury, but had a very solid first full season after getting the taste in 2020 and showed that he could be a top-end guy in this rotation to work around Sandy Alcantara and potentially Pablo Lopez if he's still here at the end of, as we move into next season. Uh, Edward Cabrera, shaky audition. Obviously, there was a lot. The game got quick on him a good amount in his seven starts. But he has the tools there. If he can sort of mimic what Trevor Rogers did between 2020 and 2021, it'll be interesting to watch as Edward moves forward. Uh, Zach Thompson was a surprise. Came out of nowhere. Ended up being a spot starter after with some rotation issues. And held his own and then was pretty good out of the bullpen as well when the rotation finally got the full strength. And then two bullpen arms, Zach Pop and Anthony Bender, they look like guys who could stay in pretty decent roles for the Marlins long term. And again, they're both just finished their first year, so controllable arms in the bullpen, that's valuable. Whether it's staying on the team or being flipped for guys later on, but both of them look like they began to establish themselves as the season progressed. And the last number, 18. The number of starting pitchers the Marlins used this year, which, again, is a surprise number to see, especially a lot more than they thought they would be using coming into the year when starting pitching was supposed to be the team strength, the, the focus, the, the core of this team that they could build around. But then when, by the time opening day happened, Six of Sanchez injured his shoulder, never pitches a game, Eliezer Hernandez goes on the 60-day IL after his first start. Goes on, ends up going on the 60-day IL twice. And then they just had to mix and match and piece together a lot of those final two spots during the first half of the season. And then the second half of the year, Pablo Lopez basically misses everything after the All-Star break except for the last game of the season. Trevor misses the month. Sandy misses a couple starts while on the bereavement list. So the Marlins never really got to see their full starting rotation at full strength. And that was something they really wanted to see because they know that's what they have to build around and that's what they have been building around since the start of this rebuild. And we're at the point, we're just finished year four, going into year five. There are a lot of questions that still need to be answered. These numbers obviously paint a pretty big picture as to where the team stands now, and it gives a direction as to where the Marlins should be heading once we get into the offseason. Again, we're in playoffs right now, so there's going to be quiet on the player front for the most part over this next month, but once we hit November, there's hopefully going to be some movement. How the collective bargaining agreement discussions impact that remain to be seen, but we'll be seeing how the Marlins tend try to address their issues as the next couple months start to unfold. And it's going to be interesting to watch. And it's going to be key as to how this team moves forward in a pretty big moment in this rebuild and what needs to be the point where they get out of the rebuild. What they do this offseason is going to say a lot. Uh, With that, going to take a short break. And on the second half of the episode, going to, Take a look at some things that are going on right now. Marlins holding a development camp. Uh, Arizona Fall League starting up. 
Uh, so we will take a look at some of that stuff and some things going on in the farm system during the offseason. Uh, so we will be right back. And we are back, everyone. Uh, the season may be over for the Marlins, but it, the work is not yet done for a slew of their top prospects. Uh, we're going to start off on the West Coast, where the Arizona Fall League is set to begin on Wednesday. Uh, long story short, the Fall League gives clubs a chance to send some of their top prospects out, give them an extra month of work. The way it works is there are six teams out there. Uh, each team consists of prospects from five separate Major League Baseball clubs. And it's a month of action, a month of nonstop games, and gives a lot of extra reps for guys. The Marlins this year are part of the Mesa Solar Sox, which also includes prospects from the Oakland Athletics, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Chicago Cubs, and the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, and with that, the quick look at the Marlins prospects who will be represented out there. The biggest name of them all is J.J. Bladé, first-round pick in 2019, the club's number five overall prospect for, according to MLB Pipeline. And long story short, it was a disappointing year for Bladé this year. Had 212 batting average, 12 home runs, 54 RBI, and just a 695 OPS spending the entire year in AA Pensacola. Uh, small sample size closed the season on a strong note in September, 311 batting average and 826 OPS over 13 games. But every other month of the season, his batting average was no higher than 234. And he only had one other month where he had an OPS above 800. Uh, he was, uh, 812 mark in July. And that was primarily factored in by the fact that he had 20 walks that month. Uh, obviously this Arizona Fall League this month out there to get extra reps, to get some more time to work things out, try to figure himself out before going into the offseason and then trying to truly make a statement in 2022 should be beneficial for him. Let's see how it plays out for him. Uh, the rest of the Marlins hitting or position player prospects that are out there, it's a great group of either current top prospects former top prospect, or guys who are sort of seem to be on the rise. Let's start, for me, with Cameron Meisner. Center fielder, the Marlins' second pick from that 2019 draft after Blade, who really came into his own the final two months between his month of August to close out his time in Class A advanced Beloit and then his month of September with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Those two months together, he had a 326 average with 13 doubles, four home runs, 27 ribbies, and 24 runs scored. It was the best two-month stretch of Cam Meisner's professional career to this point. And when you add that into the fact that he's probably the Marlins' best all-around defensive outfielder of the guys who are at the upper levels, when you add the bat plus the defense... If he can have a strong fall league, if he can have a really good month out there in Arizona, it could potentially streamline his ascension up because he has the possibly the best all-around game of the Marlins' very loaded outfielder core in the, in the minor leagues right now. Uh, the other two position players, catcher Will Banfield, who frankly really needs to show something this month. He only hit 180 with a 567 OPS in Beloit this year. 
He's always been good defensively. That's never been the question. But if he wants to have a chance to be an everyday starter in the big leagues, he's got to do better than 180. And also of note, Banfield hadn't played since his last game that he's played was August 10th. He's dealing with something. Don't have the specifics on that. But to be able to get those extra reps to make up for the month, to make up for a month of the month and a half that he lost, that's going to be helpful for him to get that extra time before going into the offseason. Uh, the last of the position players, Troy Johnston, who really impressed in the lower levels this year. He was Marlins 17th round pick in 2019, primarily least played first base. Between Jupiter and Beloit, he hit 300, had 85 RBI, had 867 OPS, hit for the cycle in one game. Uh, he really showed a lot of pop with the bat. He showed some potential there. And this should be a good experience for him. I've sort of liking what Troy Johnson did this year and the hope for what the Marlins will see in the fall league with him with what they saw from Gerard Encarnacion back in 2019. That was his breakout year in the minor, in the lower levels of the minors. Came out very strong in the fall league. Got an invite to spring training. Obviously, Encarnacion dealt with some injuries this year that really limited what he was able to show in double A this year. But that trajectory, I feel like, is where Troy Johnston's at right now. And that's really good when you also look at the fact that outside of Lewin Diaz, the Marlins' first base crop in the minors is very, very thin at this point. So if they can find a corner outfielder or a first baseman in particular that can provide some depth and some insurance in the minors, that's only going to help. As for the pitchers, the they have four going, but the only one of their... Of, Name recognition at this point is Evan Fitterer. He was their fifth-round pick in 2019. He was a high school arm, UCLA commit. The Marlins gave him a little bit more money in order to sign him. They're very optimistic about him in 2019. Obviously, 2020 with the pandemic and no minor league season sort of slowed down his progress. And then he also dealt with a back injury this year. So he's only thrown 30 and a third innings so far in this season. So... These extra innings are going to be beneficial for his development. A uh, quick look at his scouting report, courtesy of MLB Pipeline. Fastball, curveball are his main two pitches. Fastball is about 91-93, but hits 95. Has some sink. He has a plus curveball. He also has a slider and a changeup in his arsenal, so good chance to have a four-pitch mix there if he can continue to develop the slider or, and or the changeup to be a really good third pitch. That's a priority there. Uh, the other three guys are relievers. Uh, Josh Simpson, 32nd round pick in 2019. A 6'2 lefty reliever. He spent the majority of the year in Beloit. Uh, 18 appearances, 43 in the third innings. 5'6", 1 ERA, 58 strikeouts against 19 walks. Uh, Jeffrey Yan, uh, the Marlins signed him to a minor league deal in late April. He split time between Class A Jupiter and Double A Pensacola. 21 appearances, 31 innings, 20 or 51 strikeouts against 25 walks with a 205 batting average against overall. But when you look at his double A numbers, 14 innings, so yes, a small sample size, but a 193 ERA and a 1.67 batting average against. So showed some good stuff at the in his little bit of time in the upper minors. Let's see what this what happens here. And then the last guy is Justin Evans. 
19th round pick in 2018, but 2021 was his first year playing pro ball. Missed time those first two years and obviously 2020. Uh, 34 appearances across three levels, peaking at double A. Numbers weren't great. 6-4 ERA, 45 innings, 53 strikeouts against 24 walks, and a 278 batting average against. Uh, again, didn't really... Between these last three guys weren't guys who I particularly had my eye on, but going to keep tabs on how they do during the fall league. Uh, again, everything starts up Wednesday. It's a month of action. And with that, here is general manager Kim Ang. About a couple weeks ago when the season was coming to an end, I asked her before the rosters were announced just how they decide who goes, who stays, who doesn't participate, and just the thought process from the front office for how they handle making decisions for things like the Arizona Fall League. And I guess the score also ties into the potential for winter ball down the road. So here's general manager Kim Ang with the with the thought process behind the decision making. Fall League, you know, roster stretch coming out soon. Just the fact that it's back, especially after again everything the lost time last year, just to be able to get some of these prospects some extra time, especially hopefully some of the higher level guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been um, it'll be huge for them. Um, especially in that type of environment, really competitive with other um, prospects of that caliber. Um, you know, having and yeah, the Fall League is one of the I think one of the um, funnest times of year for us as executives where we get to go watch um, you know all those prospects uh, compete against each other is big how I'm just glad just now we have all these like top prospects how much uh, not just scouting but like getting inventory on other teams as or you know like what they have can you you know actually get done there yeah no it's great for our scouts you know and to really and again you know it's it's one thing when you have, you know, three or four prospects on a club and you're playing, you know, your opponent is similar, but to have that many prospects in, um, you know, that short a period of time um, is just great for our scouts. And it's a great way to get, you know, all kinds of different reads and looks on these guys. So we're... We'll, we'll have a few scouts out there. Yeah. With the system you guys have, the depth that you guys have, and only seven slots, how do you go about deciding who goes? It, it generally takes weeks to decide. Um, you know, and, and it's it's not you know it's deciding who's got who's got innings left in them. Yeah. I think that's that's a big part of this. Um, you know, who's ready for it? Um, the advantages, disadvantages. Um, when their season ends, so it's you know, a lot of different um, factors go into it, but um, yeah, it generally takes a long time. But we we hash through, it. Um, and there have been numerous conversations about who the right guys were to go. And moving back from the West Coast back east and back to South Florida, the Marlins over started last week and are continuing through next week a three week. Uh, development camp for a lot of their position players. They have a grand total of 26 guys who are basically working out every day at Lone Depot Park, uh, doing defensive drills, batting practice, simulated games of some sort, in addition to some educational-type things in between the on-field stuff. have a lot of really good prospects out here, uh, including a few of their guys from the top of the draft, uh, Khalil Watson's there, Joe Mack is there, Cody Morissette's there, Jordan McCants is there. A few of the lower 
round uh, Tanner Allen. A few of the lower round picks are there. Uh, Noah Williamson, their 19th round pick, who really came out of nowhere, has a pretty good backstory. Uh, Sam, pa- Sam Prater, the catcher out of Alabama, is there. Uh, Bennett Hostelter, who 18th round pick, and just from the small sample size, had the best numbers of the position players. And the interesting thing with him, and that's one of the many storylines I'll be looking at while paying attention to these three weeks there, he was drafted as an infielder out of North Dakota State, but he is now working as a catcher during this development camp. Haven't had the chance to actually get the specifics on that, but that is a target of mine. I'll be hopefully giving you guys more info on that as we get more access. Uh, we've only had one... Only been, media's only been allowed to watch one day so far. We've got to watch last Tuesday, the second day of it. Uh, got to see about eight or nine guys with take batting practice. Uh, Mack and Watson both impressed. Uh, looking forward to being back out there on Wednesday this week, and we'll hopefully have more info to provide you guys as we get going. And that transitions into a lot of what I'll be doing during the offseason outside of any sort of breaking news or big off-season developments. Uh, This off-season, I'm going to be doing once a week or aiming to do once a week a look at a lot of the Marlins' homegrown prospects. Because as we know, a lot, basically everybody who has made an impact that has been acquired during the Bruce Sherman, Derek Jeter ownership group over these last four years, just about everybody has either been a prospect that they traded for or have been a few of the top-end guys from the past regime. Think Brian Anderson, Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers. Uh, but the guys who they've drafted or and or the guys they signed in international free agency, we have four classes of, sign, of draft picks and international signings that are inside the organization now. And it's time to start looking at where those guys are where they are in their development, how close some of those guys are to taking the next step to being the homegrown guys who make an impact for the Miami Marlins, whether it's next year or the years to come. So there's going to be stories, again, going to be trying to do this once a week, going to be doing some thematic ones, grouping some guys together, and then doing some individual profiles of guys who are either on the cusp or guys who have some good stories that we may not talk too much about and try to just paint the scene of where things are right now. A few stories that are more than like going to be in the works, uh, doing something on the Mesa brothers, both Victor, Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr. or are at the development camp. Obviously we know Victor Mesa Jr.'s had a pretty good first couple years. Victor, Victor openly admitted that 2021 was a struggle for him. He started in Pensacola, had an ankle injury and, the rest of the outfielder group, frankly, out-competed him. And he was demoted to Beloit, showed some success down in Class A Advanced. But that was also a wake-up call for him. And he also understands that time may be running out for him to find a way to make an impact. So that'll be one story. Uh, Going to look, obviously, at that group of pitchers from the 2020 draft. The, that group of five that's still here. Four of them all made it up to double-A. All four college guys were in double-A. Max Meyer obviously finished in triple-A. And then Dax Fulton, the high school arm, picked in the second round, who was coming off Tommy John surgery out of high school in Oklahoma. 
He made he took some steps forward. Uh, some other guys I'll be looking at. Uh, Yuri Perez, who the Marlins named as their minor league pitcher of the year. Gonna dive into him. Peyton Burdick, where things stand with him. And a few guys who are either who are on the lower levels, but obviously need the we can start seeing some budding this with. Obviously, the top guys from this last draft, Khalil Watson, Joe Mack. Uh, Jose Salas, who was one of their big international signings a couple years back. Uh, Osiris Johnson, who draft pick in 2018 that dealt with a bunch of injuries. He's now playing outfield instead of infield. And that seems to have freed him up a little bit more. So there are going to be a bunch of stories. Again, I'm aiming for at least one a week or, or around one story a week. So look forward to that as the offseason progresses and a way to just keep the Marlins stories coming without just doing the normal, typical offseason, speculating how things are going to go before the offseason actually begins, trying to find some ways to give some concrete looks at what the Marlins currently have as they prepare for year five of this rebuild. And with that, uh, I'm going to play one of the interviews we did last week. Uh, Osiris Johnson, as I mentioned, 2018 draft pick, originally a shortstop, now playing uh, playing in the outfield, primarily center field. The uh, group of us that were at that first day of development camp that was open act to media, we talked with Osiris on, along with a couple other guys. So here's what Osiris Johnson had to say about just what his minor league career has looked like to this point. Uh the adjustment to outfield and just ultimately what he's hoping to show as he moves forward into this development camp, this offseason and 2022. So with that, here's Osiris Johnson. Osiris, uh, how would you evaluate your season this year? Um, all together, I think it went really well. Had a little bit of up and downs, but all together it went pretty good. Learned good? a lot. Sorry about that. No, you're all good. How was the transition to the outfield? Um, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. I played a little bit outfield when I was younger, so I kind of just took what I knew from younger and tried to put it out here and it made it a little easier for me. Playing the outfield, just uh, I guess maybe some of your skills or like talent, speed or whatever, what kind of translate and help you as a defender out there? Um, probably my speed, being able to get a certain ball is that some people wouldn't be able to get to. I think I can cover a lot of ground out there. You're just going down there? Oh, so, wow. How important was this year, Osiris, because of the time of you missed because of the injury, and then last year due to COVID, so you have to play almost every day. How important uh, and how crucial this year was for you? Um, it was a, it was really crucial. It was really big for me. It was a lot of, it was a good experience. I had fun. Uh, kind of, I learned a lot. It taught me a lot playing every day than not playing every day. So. It was a big difference. What did you learn? What did I learn? Yeah. Kind of stand as low as possible. And if you can stay level, you should see perfectly fine. Physically, what was that grind like of playing every day? And also mentally, what was it like knowing that you were able to go through a full season? Um, Physically, it wasn't as bad. Kind of just stay on your body. Kind of throughout the season goes, a lot of stretching. Well, that wasn't too bad, but mentally, it, it was a lot of work mentally. You know, it was a lot of a lot of studying your swing every day to make sure that you can be ready for the next day. Mentally, it was mentally it was tough, but physically, I got through it. 
How would you, I guess, you know, describe your pro career so far? You've had obviously the injury, the pandemic, just since you know 2018. It's been different. <laughs> it's been it's been a lot. Um, up and down, some highs, some lows, some injuries, some successes. It's been it's been all over, but all around great experience so far. Uh, the camp here for the next three weeks. Where are you hoping to show and just to be part of the group that you guys have out here? What was your question again? Uh, the camp you guys are doing now for to be here for three weeks in Long Depot Park. Just what is this? What do you hope to take out of the experience and just what and just having the opportunity to be here with the group of hitters that are here? Gotcha. Um, I'm looking to just soak up as much information I can and get what works for me. Put it in my program. Take it into the off season so I can be ready for next year. Aside from you know helping being able to play every day, what, where do you think you maybe maybe the biggest strides in your game this year? Strides. Just the uh, most improvement or maybe still the best progress in. Um. Well, the transition outfit, I would say that's probably the biggest uh, stride of my career so far. Transitioning from shortstop to being a center fielder. So, but it went smooth, I can say. Because that because of your speed game, how much ground you can go through. Yeah, speed right. and kind of just knowing the game from previous years, putting it all together, having fun out there. How much are you able to, I guess, talk with the, you know the relatives who have been through this before? Do you like ask them for advice? Uh, I try to talk to them as much as possible, a couple times a week. We'll text every so often. I'll send them a few videos. They'll send me some tips back. I'll try to take it into the future, and we go from there. Has Jimmy been able to see you play yet? He hasn't been out here yet, but probably sometime soon. Any, I know it's so early. Any goals for 2022 yet that you're already eyeing? Um, not so far. Right now, I'm focused on the off season, you know, getting stronger mentally, getting stronger physically. So we'll see when that time comes. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much for tuning in as always, and we will be back again next week. Uh, I'm Jordan McPherson. Thanks so much, everyone.